All right, so this is probably our last episode of the calendar year. Uh, let's take a second to talk about, as people like to do in this time, some other media besides She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. So, Lauren, what else media-wise did you enjoy this year? Uh, the show that did not necessarily come out this year, but I watched the most, was definitely Letterkenny. Uh, Letterkenny is a Canadian comedy show, and it really uh, turns your expectations on their heads. So on its face, it is a fictional story from this sort of backwater. I mean, they'd call it a hick town. That's what they refer to themselves as. Uh, but then in reality, all of the people that live there, despite their appearances as sort of farmer, hockey-playing, uh, rural folk, are actually super intelligent and super progressive. And every time you think you know what's about to happen, what they're about to say, they do something smarter and wiser and, frankly, more leftist. And so... As a, a political podcast, you might want to check out Letterkenny. Is that on the BBC? It's No, it's on Hulu. Wow, I just canceled my Hulu. Dang it. <laughs> After burning through Runaway Season 2 in you a week. You could probably use mine. I'm using Hulu Sick. just to watch Bob Bur Bob's Burgers right now, and that's about it. So you can watch Letterkenny on it. How about music? Favorite album of the year? Ooh. Uh, Are you going to say the Shaggy and Sting record? Yeah. No, that did that come uh, out this year? Yes, it did. Oh, my God, that I'm going to say that. The we the weirdest. I'm cutting this. <laughs> oh, please don't cut please it. Please go on. Just call me angel of the morning. Angel, just touch my cheek before you leave me, baby. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to Shira, Progressive of Power. I'm Eric, and I'm Lauren. And today we're joined by a very special guest who was teased in the last episode. Uh, we've often told the story about when we started this podcast, there was really nobody else uh, talking about the political implications of She-Ra, which as far as my limited Googling skills showed, uh, was true. But there was one blog that I hadn't uncovered, and months into this podcast, our friend Jacob Torbeck sent me a link to this blog called The She-Ra Generation, which I literally checked the dates on their posts versus our episodes because we were on such a parallel track that I was like, <laughs> it really looks like one person is lifting from the other. But both were created completely independently of each other. And she was first, to be fair. We we definitely <laughs> were following and we just hadn't seen the blog. But yeah, I just think this stuff was so in the zeitgeist and I'm so excited that Lauren and I weren't the only two people to see it. And so I'd like to welcome via Skype from the lovely state of Virginia, our special guest, the creator of the She Regeneration blog, Emily Mozart made. Hi. Hi guys. Thank you for joining us and for being part of the team. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I definitely already said this last week, but I'm just so excited that we were able to find someone on the internet saying the same things as us. And instead of being like, oh, oh no, how do we differentiate ourselves? What do we do? We're just like, let's just all be fun together. Let's just team right. up. It'll be fine. Totally. Yeah. For me, it was just a cathartic moment. Like after Trump was elected, I was like, I need to go back to my safe spot. <laughs> like, you know, find, find a way to understand it and to understand why I felt so viscerally angry about the whole thing. And I think that explains our time differences because for me, I didn't revisit She-Ra until I saw Wonder Woman. And mm -hmm. I, I felt like She-Ra had done, had elicited a similar response in me. But it took me about, you know, eight months or whatever to get there. Whereas you were right on it from the Trump election. So props to you. Yeah. So like, I just, I don't know. It, 
I well, when I started the blog, I was kind of reflecting on my own, you know, like where did I get my my sort of principles from? And and I and I say on my blog, you know, I'm a Christian, but Shira influenced my sort of understanding of good versus evil. And and so I just did a deeper dive into some episodes that um, I thought were relevant to the political story, and it was shockingly relevant. <laughs> like as I was writing, I was like, "This is insane!" Like it's it's the same sort of stories and parallels of 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 a, a dramatic good versus evil story. And and as some people have said, like what's been going on is almost like more than would be acceptable in a movie. <laughs> you know? Right. Like it feels like two on the nose, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, who's writing this script? This is terrible. <laughs> There's got to be something comforting about seeing something so relevant from the past, but then also something incredibly disheartening to think, wow, we're still facing the same problems as a society decades and decades later. How do you... Um, find the the positivity and the parallels instead of negativity um i think that the idea that there is always good in the world um you know and it might take a while there's there's what's that famous phrase that the um arc of history always bends towards justice the the moral arc of the universe always bends towards justice yeah dr king yeah yeah so um that kind of comforted me and and just in my own inner strength to kind of remember what it felt like to believe in something that is bigger than myself and um you know could give a positive spin on on what's happening and and to know that there's always people going to be fighting um against what we perceive to be dangerous and evil in the world and at least for me there's a way in which like the um it the classic Shira probably felt more allegorical in the 80s especially because like us as kids watching you know we're not as aware of the political scene and and I don't things I don't know I don't know if things really felt more subtle back then or if we just weren't aware of it but now as you said everything is like the dumbest version of what it could be like we have the dumbest version of proto-fascism in the office and so when you see someone like Hordak it's like Oh, this is not an allegory as much anymore. Yeah, which is almost more terrifying, right? Because you're like, God, it, it is the, the 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 cheesy cartoon with you know the bumbling idiots that that serve the 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 evil guy, and it's just insane. <laughs> like, well, what what world have we jumped into? You know. It does make you look back though and say, "Gosh, maybe we should have made our stories a little more on the nose because clearly we didn't learn from them." Oh, no, we did not get the message. <laughs> so, what is of of the classic Shira episodes? I know that we've covered a lot of the same ones your blog did. What is your very favorite, uh, either for its messaging or just kind of as a narrative? I have about I have I have several. Um, I would say one of my favorites is probably the Sword in the Stone because it uh, forces Adora to find the inner strength of her in herself. And I think that was a strong message for me as a kid, um, you know, before she can, can come back to being, being Shira. Um, and then the other one is, I think it's Into the Dark Dimension. It's the one where she gets trapped with Hordak. I think that's the right episode. Yeah, and they have to like work together to, to and um, they have get to out. Yeah, they have to work together. And yet she's still like sort of sarcastic, but she's compassionate. And then, like, at the end, when the big giant dragon, like, says, you are the one who is worthy. And that that's just, like, it was it was just, I just remember, it, like, really impacting 
me understanding Shira as this strong force of good in the world. So I think those two are probably some of my favorites. Um, and then there's another one that we will actually reference in the episode we're talking about today, and that's the Eldritch Mist. Um, I love that episode. One, because it has Castaspella in it, and I loved her. And two, the way Adam is pulled into the story um, was really fun. And I just I just really enjoyed that particular episode. I think we covered Eldritch Mist, right? But we did. We didn't cover the other two. So those are two episodes, especially if you want the kind of progressive reading on, you need to go to Emily's blog. Emily, can you give us the address of that blog, please? Yeah, it is... Um, shirageneration.wordpress.com and it is seriously so good and unlike our rambling podcast you can read the blog at whatever speed you desire it doesn't have to take 40 minutes of your day at a time <laughs> right. I want to point out I said this on Facebook already but our friend fan former guest Ryan Ferguson posted that the classic Shira is actually probably coming off of Netflix. Yeah, I just saw it pop up on my on my Netflix. It's now telling you when things disappear. January 17th is when it's going away. Right. And so if you want to read the blog or even go back to some of our old podcast episodes and you want to actually see the material, one of your ways to do that is about to disappear. So go check out the original Shira on Netflix while it's legal to do there. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's weird right because they have this like fancy new show you'd think they'd want to have something for kids to overflow to as i know some of my younger friends have uh, yeah i don't know why they're taking it away but yeah enjoy it while you can i'm looking up actually right now how much it would cost you to get the dvds on amazon oh they're not much so if you obviously free is better but you can also still buy the shira dvds and enjoy all this great content that lauren and emily and i are putting out into the world and and just the original show itself yeah but also netflix never put out season two like i think their better move would have been to just add on shira season two rather than taking it all away so i don't know oh completely agree season two is weird we didn't cover a lot of it because it's not super accessible but it's got some weird stories in it Definitely does. It's because they were trying to sell toys back in the 80s. So, yeah. (laughs) More characters. Right. (laughs) Farewell, She-Ra, princess of power. Farewell, He-Man, dear brother. So let's talk about Netflix a little bit more as a means of transitioning. So, Emily, I know when when this new show was announced, Lauren and I were ecstatic and we weirdly had a party planned the next night anyway that kind of became a celebration of the part of the new show. But you were a little more ambivalent. Is that right? At first, yeah, I was. Um, You know, and the more I watch it, the more I've gotten sold on it. Um, And and I'll get into that a bit more when we get to the episode. But um, it the, the aesthetic at first, like I love the color scheme. The colors are just gorgeous and spot on for especially the um, the box art from the 80s. If you look at Shira box art, that color palette is all over the place. Um, also from the cartoon, but even more with the pinks, I'm, I'm feeling like the pinks and purples. Um, and I, I don't know, I wasn't quite sold on the animation um, and the Shira's redesign has taken me a while to like swallow. Um, and it's, it's just because I think that it was so beloved to me as a kid. Like I was all about Shira. Like I had every single Shira thing imaginable. I remember going to see um, the the live performance that like came through. Oh um, yeah, 
<laughs> and I, I was like five year, five or six years old at the time. I believed I saw Shira. Like that's how like much it was in my psyche as a kid. Like I would tell people, she's real. I went and saw her. <laughs> I saw her at the Kennedy Center. Are you crazy? She's real. <laughs> so like she was like really a part of my childhood. So it was really hard for me to kind of like accept a new version of her. So it just, it just took me a little while to kind of, okay, I understand where, where they're coming from. I think that's totally fair. Uh, yeah, I mean... I was stoked because it seemed like the creative team would be primed to pick up a lot of the same things that like our two projects had noticed in the original. But mm -hmm. well, the first time I saw the designs other than Catra, I was also like, mm, I don't know, but mm -hmm. seeing it in motion and watching the, you know, 13 episodes minus one or two, uh, <laughs> really sold me. So mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. And on rewatches, I see more, um, homages to the original, that are just like embedded in. Some of them are, are a bit more of a dud. Like I, I wasn't a huge fan of Cowl being a pillow. That that didn't quite do it for me, but <laughs> um, but there's a lot more um, subtle things like that we won't get to the episode, but for example, uh, Bright Moon looks like the toy crystal castle. Yeah. If you know what that that is. It's mm -hmm. like purple with like the fluffy pillows. And you know, it's it's so much that aesthetic of that toy. And that was really nostalgic for me. And there's some uh, interesting stuff going on even in this episode that we're doing today, which I think is probably what led you to pick it, right? Is kind of the continuity yes. connections. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So we're covering in the shadow of Mysticore. Once again, I can throw in a, a, my excellent recap after, after the fact, so we don't have to keep <laughs> Emily on the line too long. <clears throat> Glimmer takes Adora and Bo to the secret sorceress realm of Mysticore for a vacation but Adora's nightmares of Shadow Weaver persist. But uh, yeah, let's let's dive into Mysticore. So you mentioned Castispella uh, when talking about the episode Eldritch Mist. This is her so far one and only appearance in the um, Netflix show. And weirdly, I think she has not been aged down. She is in fact one of the elder characters. Yeah, it's it's odd, and and I this is one dynamic that I'm still trying to get my my head around. I liked the fact that Adora slash Shira was a bit older, and Shira especially because of a Melanie Britt's voicing on her, she had so much authority, and um and so her friends, the other princesses, tended to be about you know probably late twenties, I guess is where they were sort of aging everybody, and Castispella, I loved her original character. Um, the way, the, vo the voicing on her, the way she looked, I just, she was kind of funny and, um, gentle, you know, and, um, I just, I really, I'm not really sold on, on Cassispella being Glimmer's aunt. I mean, I, I kind of see the continuity why they did that, but I guess it's just that the, the way they drew the character, I don't quite get where they're coming from. I didn't mind so much that Casta was aged up. Uh, and maybe it's just the headspace I'm in, but I mm -hmm. I saw the movie Into the Spider Verse yesterday, which and I loved. I love it's so good. And so what good. I appreciated about it was that there were characters of several different ages. And so if you're a kid, maybe Miles is your character, but if you're an adult, <laughs> maybe Peter is your character. And for those of us who are grown-ups watching this show. I could I could appreciate that they're trying to put in a couple more adult characters. The fact that <laughs> the fact that she's sort of an overbearing aunt stereotype maybe doesn't serve so well, but right. she's very adult. She's uh 
did you wear the sweater I knit yeah. you? I'm gonna judge. Oh my God. I'm gonna judge <laughs> your friends. <laughs> that line though was so funny because she she said I need to get your shoulder um, size, which is such an '80s reference because of the huge <laughs> shoulder pads. It was awesome. Oh, that's really <laughs> true. Yeah, I I agree with Lauren. I think there's a lot of sense in like aging up certain characters. I guess I do wonder why Castaspella. Um, only because it didn't seem like there was any previously established family connection between her and Angela. Maybe they wanted to um, have her still be the pair of Shadow Weaver. I was going to say, I think it matches her up with Shadow Weaver. Okay. And that is something from the old cartoon that's coming through. I can say the uh, one connection between Shadow Weaver and Casta is back in the Eldritch, Eldritch Mist episode when they have sort of a, a battle of wizards um, Casta says some comments. Look at what you've become. The old days are far behind us. Used to know how to have a good time. So, which tells me that they used to be sort of like, you know, uh, maybe at the same wizard school or whatever is the equivalent on Etheria um, and um, knew each other as, as younger uh, magicians. So I thought that's interesting. Yeah, and Price of Power, too, we see, um, they don't name her, but uh, Norwin's two apprentices are young Shadow Weaver and then a little girl who's dressed very much like Castaspella. Although, if I remember correctly, in that flashback, Casta is, is still younger than Shadow Weaver, uh, but not by much. But mm -hmm. yeah, I did like the tiniest bit of research this morning. So this idea of light spinner... Uh, that is previously established in continuity. I thought it was from the Masters of the Universe Classics, the toy line, but in fact it is from the uh, Masters of the Universe UK Comics magazine, which okay. ran a few years in the 80s, and I guess the writers just felt like they had liberty to add uh, continuity, so they decided that Shadow Weaver's prior name was Light Spinner and that she trained with... Uh, oh, wait. Actually, I, I took a picture of this um, paragraph because I think this is what the show is channeling. So it says, um, Shadow Weaver began as Princess Lightspinner, Princess Lightspinner, oh. studying sorcery and Mysticor when the Horde invaded Etheria. Hordak convinced the impatient young sorceress that science could give her the power she craved without the years of toil. Using a machine, he infused Lightspinner with dark magic siphoned from the heart of Etheria. Fearing that the Horde would take back her powers, the newly dubbed Shadow Weaver pledged herself to the Horde. She was highly feared by the other Horde members. So that's definitely where I think parts of this episode are drawing from. I will say I don't think we're supposed to see Shadow Weaver as a former princess. And I don't think her dark power was necessarily 100% gifted to her. There was a very interesting line in this episode where Shadow Weaver says, while she was light spinner, you feared my dark power mm, as true. if maybe she was already experimenting with dark magic True. or she already had dark magic. And we've, we touched in on this show a couple of times about how the princesses sort of shun those who are different. And I wonder if, you know, Shadow Weaver suffered from that sort of same past. She had some intimidating and new dark magic and they just cast her away. What I appreciate now about the newer um, She-Ra is how they've actually synthesized and distilled um, aspects of the show. Like this particular episode pulls from, like I said, Eldritch Mist. It also pulls a little bit from um, Enchanted Castle and Three Courageous Hearts. But in it, um, in those episodes, things are a bit more physicalized. I can go into detail of that in a second. Um, while in this episode, it's much more um, of, a, of a mental game. 
Yes. And yeah. it actually has a, a larger impact. So I appreciated that they were really trying to play on that connection between Adora and Shadow Weaver in this newer episode. I think that was much more effective as a as storytelling. Yeah, I wrote down in my notes that uh, that final battle, it's so emotional. And I love that Adora wins it without becoming She-Ra. I thought that mm-hmm. was the coolest. There were two lines in this episode that for whatever reason, the first time I watched this, this episode didn't really get me. And this time it did. And the first line, and it's these are both related to the Adora Shadow Weaver relationship, is when Adora is explaining to her friends who Shadow Weaver is. And she refers to Shadow Weaver's mentorship as commanding officer stuff and mom stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear that the first time through and it's mm-hmm. such a it's such a gut punch because it's just this reminder that i think all of us have someone in our lives who is or maybe multiple people who are very complicated you know it's a relationship where there was some sort of love and some sort of care and some sort of intimacy but in the end it was also toxic and damaging Mm-hmm. And watching Katra and Adora unpack that and come to different conclusions is so painful, but also interesting. And then later, we find out it's during this battle that Shadow Weaver's intention is to rule with Adora by her side. And so mm-hmm. I think I think it's pretty blatant when she says, you're ambitious, you're cutthroat, rule by my side. I think they're talking about overthrowing Hordak. Kind of to tie into that, we hear Adora say, you never loved me. And Shadow Weaver kind of agrees with her. Shadow Weaver is like, love's not a part of this. I was raising you to be great. And the fact that Shadow Weaver completely separates love from greatness and maybe sees them as opposites, uh, (laughs) it's... Plant some bad seeds for, I think, Katra in the future. I hope she's okay. You know deep down what I say is true. You are the ambitious, cutthroat, ruthless warrior I raised you to be. No. The princesses don't care about you. They want to use you for your strength. Return now to the Fright Zone. Rule by my side. These are my friends. They've been kind to me. Something you never were. I prepared you for greatness. But you never loved me. You just played your twisted mind games. I'm none of the things that you say I am. I'm not like you. You are bitter and cruel, and you're the one who used me. This is who I am. You hurt my friends, so now you're going to pay. Was this the first episode where we saw Adora's shield? Because yes. that shield is nearly identical to the initial one. Yeah. Where did it come from in this in this series? Because I don't remember seeing it. It just appeared, right? Well, her sword transformed into the shield. Okay. However, okay. she didn't say anything. So right. in the 80s version, she would say sword to shield and it would yeah. change. It just it just sort of happened in this one. It, it, felt, okay. it felt need-based. And I, I really like that because I've said before, I think the uh, sword transforms are some of the weakest parts of the original show, especially because there's certain <laughs> transformations that just break any 
any kind of rules of like the physical world like sword to helmet but <laughs> why can you breathe underwater because anyway so yeah. i like that like sword to shield is the only non-offensive transformation anyway and i thought this was cool that it just kind of happened because it was what she needed at the time Mm-hmm. We're seeing several of her powers sort of unlock as they're necessary. And I like that we're doing that. It, it allows us to sort of slow burn through what She-Ra has the potential to someday be. She's just, she's not this crazy beefy Superman right away. She's sort of adding to her list of what she can do. It's a little bit like in the um, the finale of The Secret of the Sword where there's the hurt bear or whatever, and He-Man's like, She-Ra, your hands, they're glowing. And she's like, can I help? And then she touches the animal. And this is like a kind of a more um, yeah, thoughtful version of, of that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, they did kind of hit us over the head with those things in the 80s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it was charming, absolutely. But yeah, this definitely has its eye on more long-term world building. Yeah, and and I maybe I can appreciate um, where they're going with that because um, I I do kind of miss that Shira had more authority when she's Shira, and I don't feel like she's quite there yet that she has full authority. Um, you know, like the the transformation in the original was like amazing. You know, they they rotoscoped it and it looked gorgeous, and you know. Um, and it was definitely like a big moment and I'm not feeling always it's a big moment when Shira transforms in this one. Yeah, she keeps getting her butt kicked. <laughs> she shows yeah. up and just catch her with her claws and her psychological manipulation still gets an upper hand on Shira all the time. And I, mm-hmm. I agree. I think now and then I'd really like to see Shira take command of a situation and maybe maybe season two, maybe we're headed there. We haven't talked about the actual transformation yet, which I'm glad you brought that up uh, because I'm of two minds about it. I actually do like that we don't go through the whole sequence every episode or sometimes Mm -hmm. like three times an episode because clearly (laughs) they just came up about two pages short on script that time. But uh, (laughs) so I think it's cool to use it sparingly. But contrasted with that, I do think the old transformation sequence is a little more impressively animated. Maybe that's just because it's in relation to the rest of the stock footage. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, and the song, I mean, it's the best instru- like the best music on the show, but it's still not as anthemic, I feel like. Maybe because we don't mm-hmm. hear it as much. I don't know. I think her transformation is like 90% there. I would definitely like to hear the transformation song more. Yes. Because whether it's Sailor Moon or it's She-Ra, it's exactly what Emily just said. It's a moment. And and at the end of the 80s transformation, she always gets to like yell, you know, I am She-Ra. Well, it's honestly, it's the setup. It's she needs to take more time and she goes, for the honor of Skull, Like, that's really what sets it up. And that's what's missing is that she's like, for the honor of Skull, Like, oh, God, I need She-Ra. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess, I guess I don't mind that so much. For me, I mean, I, I can see that point of view. For me, it's definitely the back end. Just as you said, she needs to be able to take command of a situation. And when she becomes She-Ra, I'd like to see her just become a little more sure and a little more ready because I remember being a kid watching Magical Girl anime and being like, oh, now the day is going to get saved. And (laughs) because She-Ra is still kind of fledgling and learning herself, when she transforms, I don't feel reassured yet. I just go, 
okay, I hope she does it. Right. Yeah. Well, and the song itself, I think it's important to call that out too, because so the first thing Lauren watched when we embarked on this whole project last year was uh, Diamond Ray of Disappearance. <laughs> oh, and yeah. uh, bless you for powering through. But that was at a time when only like three pieces of music had been written for the show. So I think literally like every three minutes you hear the He-Man theme again. But as a result, <laughs> you know that this is like, oh, when this theme plays, something heroic's about to go down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the the new transformation is so understated that we don't really have She-Ra's theme. I'm going to Tennessee this weekend for the holidays. Personal connection to it. For the honor of So there's one other thing I, I want to touch on in this episode. Uh, and it's by way of saying that we're actually going to be covering this next week as well. Uh, this is one of the two-parters Lauren mentioned because we have a, a friend who uh, works in psychiatry and she wants to talk about the angle of self-care in this episode. So we won't talk about it too much, but in the continuity sense, I think it's cool that this is kind of one of the pivot points of the season from a very episodic princess of the week to, all right, now we're going to go into this mega arc that ends the season. And I like that what pivots it is this moment of relaxation. For sure. And um, it's interesting because when you go back to the toy line in the 80s, um, there was a lot of self-care going on with the princesses, you know, and probably because it was they're selling dolls to girls. Um, but like Crystal Falls was this really beautiful little fall that the girls could, you know, go take a swim or go sit by the water. And, you know, they would have all these different little outfits that you could dress them up in. And it was stuff like that they were going to a picnic or going, you know, um, on, I don't know, some sort of like gar- to some garden party or whatever, um, which was never referenced in the show at all. But there was definitely self-care going on um, with, with the dolls in the 80s. <laughs> A lot of hair brushing and animal care. <laughs> Even the villains, like if you read the comics that came with the toys, their plans weren't really anything more than like, I'm going to menace this person and then go home to my nice bedroom and brush my hair. <laughs> yeah. Listen. True. Katra definitely had a bit of vanity uh, going on, I think, in the older comics. I, I did come around, though, to the idea that even if it were just through the toy line, uh, little girls were giving relationships and further story to some of these characters that on the show you'd only see once or twice. So um, I'm going to tie this to a, a girl's toy line that came out more recently, and that's the Star Wars Forces of Destiny dolls. Mm-hmm. I love those in theory. I think they're gorgeous. I think they're a great balance of you know, brushable hair, but also action costumes, but they sort of failed. There's a YouTuber that I watch uh, by the name of Jenny Nicholson, and she explains the reasons she thinks Forces of Destiny sort of face-planted, and that is all of these Star Wars women are from different points in time, you know, mm-hmm. different generations in the Star Wars legacy, and so they're not really allowed to meet each other like Leia and Padme and Jin Erso can't possibly go to a garden party or go to the beach together because they would never meet each other so they can never have relationships and they can never cross paths. And so I'm not going to be mad at it. I'm not going to make fun of it because all of these characters get to live in the same world and kids at home get to build a ton of stories between them and make the characters into so much more. 
even if it's just going to the salon or whatever. So here's here's my question is we know from documentaries that even though the marketing people didn't see it, uh, He-Man and She-Ra were both enjoyed almost equally by boys and girls. So they probably, uh, at, at least in households that had both little boys and little girls, had both sets of toys. So how often do you think this scenario came up where like Hordak stole Adora's brush or like <laughs> Catra tried on Battle Cat's harness? He-Man had a lovely day at the beach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I do remember, I can remember going to the store and when I bought Hordak, I remember like remember like realizing he was in with the boy toys and i was like why is hordak over here i don't get it (laughs) he doesn't even go here i just wish we could all get along like we used to in middle school i wish that i could bake a cake made out of rainbows and smiles and we'd all eat be happy she doesn't even go here do you even go to this school no i just have a lot of feelings okay go home the the mini comics with Shira, other than the um, the very first comic, which has Prince or has He Man in it for a second, and then there's like a couple comics down the road that use Horde Troopers. The toys would never let you in on this like rich world that the cartoons had, and I think that that was always the strength of the cartoons. And it's interesting now in light of I don't know if you guys saw Noel. Um, there was an interview with Noel a couple days ago where she's like, "Don't hold your breath for He Man. Yeah, we're gonna try to tell this story." around He-Man, even incorporating the mythology of Masters of the Universe. So I don't know what that means, but as we talked about in this episode, clearly the world building of the Netflix team is already at a different level than the original show. So I did have the question, and maybe this is me just being too much of a conspiracy theorist, but does a lack of He-Man mean a lack of Prince Adam? Because technically, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, I think that's a fair question. And also, let's remember that people in this position lie all the time. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh um, Khan isn't in Into Darkness. That's not Khan at all. Or like, Yeah, that was just a bold-faced lie. Right. Or like, we'll never see Scarecrow again in the Batman movies. Really? Oh, okay. So, yeah, people <laughs> like Khan this. The Khan one is such a just quintessential example. It was like, uh-oh, they figured it out too fast. Well, and here's the super bogus part is they were going to cast. Oh, who plays the collector in Avengers? Um, they were going to cast a, a Latino actor whose name I'm forgetting, a very famous one. And the reason why they cast Cumberbatch is because they thought casting a white guy as Khan would throw people sent off. Guess what? Still didn't work. And you took a job out of a, uh, out of a brown person. Uh, so that really sucks. <laughs> to be fair, though, I'm a huge Scarecrow fan, and I'm glad he came back in his weird little like courtroom feather suit thing. Bless that scene. It's fine. Right. And it's so inconsequential. It's like it doesn't really matter. Why that lie Nolan about li- right. it then? Right. Like yeah. in that case, I'd be like, yeah, he is coming back. Get ready. It's going to be kind of sick. Well, I was just thinking about it. If you remember, there was the 90s He-Man show. Do you remember that one? Yes. I've seen okay. it. Yes. <laughs> it's not good. Anyway. Yeah. Well, so they had that show and She-Ra was eventually supposed to come into that show. Never happened. And then we have this show and, and He-Man is not supposed to come into this show so what if we just bring them together in like a really awesome movie oh. a christmas special <laughs> <laughs> also like who knows how popular this will be like i i think uh 50 some episodes are plotted but you know if they go beyond that i don't know i even though that was a, a headline i i wouldn't take that to heart but i do think it's interesting that like they're doing so much world building without 
kind of the original linchpin of the world. And yet still the world building is excellent. It, it really is. It, it's very detailed and, and like I said, extremely referential to the original source material um, in very clever ways. You have to do multiple rewatches to catch all the little um, Easter eggs because they really are strewn throughout. It's turned me really obsessive. So a couple episodes ago, I noted that in Angela's sort of courtroom, there's a, a mural on the wall of a bunch of, of the former Princess Alliance members that this episode then, and I didn't catch anything, but I found myself like looking in the background at the statues of the sorcerers. I'm like, oh, is anything back there that I would recognize? Is there anything I, that's hidden in the background? I'm, I'm yep. doing that constantly now. But yeah, I, I love that all the references are there and they're in a way that um, doesn't detract. So if you're like a little kid and you don't know or care about the original, there's nothing that takes you out of this story. Maybe the fact that Adora's password is Eternia, which is something that hasn't been referenced again since episode two or three. Yeah, but, that's right. I forgot about that. That was cool. We'll hear that again, I bet. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's nice that there's something for like me, the, the you know, that grew up on She-Ra. Like I was the absolute perfect age when She-Ra original came out. I was age four. And I mean, I can literally remember watching the first episode and my mind was blown. <laughs> so, like, I'm going I, to love this forever. Yeah, I, I, I can vividly remember standing in front of the TV and then immediately going outside after the episode and like, you know, pretending I'm holding up a sword and saying, for the honor of Grayskull. Like it really like, like I had, you know, told you at the beginning, sunk in. So um, it's nice to, to to see it still stay alive and, and in this new form and that there's multiple layers to appreciate as I rewatch it. Um, you know, it's like, it, there are some aspects that I, are a little too, I guess, I don't want to say modern, but just don't quite hit some of the humor. I, I don't quite enjoy, but it's okay. It's, it's really, the stories are, are really well done and they've synthesized a lot of the original material into these episodes so that we can appreciate it. Us older fans. It's definitely the type of reboot that I appreciate existing. It's like a cover song that actually adds something to the original. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of griping lately about um, live action, quote unquote, Lion King and remaking Aladdin and remaking Beauty and the Beast. And now there's going to be a live action Cowboy Bebop. And I've, I'm just like leave perfect things alone like just leave perfect things the way they were let them exist but Shira wasn't perfect we all yeah. love Shira but there was so much potential that it didn't reach and it didn't have the, the technology to do what it can what they can do with it now absolutely That's why and so we're yeah. rebooting something to help it see what we I think we're all imagining it was mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. not every reboot does that in fact most don't it seems like, I mean, I hate to sound like uh, every person on the internet, but so much of the like kind of Hollywood strategy now is like take something that's already done well and then do it again as like a yeah reboot or remake or whatever, uh, just because it seems like a safer bet. So when the remakes come along that are actually um, thoughtful and have something to say and build on the original, it's such a special thing, and that's definitely how I feel about She-Ra. I will say one more thing about reboots that, again, I think is just internet <laughs> venting. But it was incidentally after seeing Into the Spider-Verse last night. 
and my friend Jess was talking about how so many of these reboots are turning animation into live action and mm -hmm. or or near live action animation but live action styled regardless and she was saying does this invalidate animation? Does this make animation look inferior or juvenile if we keep rebooting things and turning them into live people? And so Into the Spider-Verse and She-Ra, I think are fantastic examples of keeping the media animation and showing what 2018 animation can really do and what 2018 technology can really do for animation and showing us all like, it's okay for adults to still watch cartoons. Cartoons are beautiful and exciting and worth making. Not every reboot has to be an edgy live action thing. Yes, oh my gosh, <laughs> thank you. That's one of my big kind of, uh, I don't know, one of my big things is like, everything feels like it has to be cynical now. Like we have to take the things we loved as kids and somehow show how they don't stand up to the cold light of reality. Yeah. Shira doesn't do that at all. So I guess by way of wrapping up, uh, first of all, Emily, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure to talk to one of the only other uh, people doing this work out there. I appreciate you guys. This is like so meta for me to, to be on this <laughs> podcast. It's very, very cool. I've never done a podcast before. Long time listener, first time podcast talking person. First time caller. <laughs> Eric and I just yeah. made such yeah. significant eye contact. Another first timer on our show. Yeah, that's what. So. Uh, you said you've been inspired to continue working on the She-Ra generation. Can you preview maybe what episodes, uh, an episode you have uh, in the chamber? I, I'm still really mulling it over because I'm, I've, I've been trying to decide if I want to keep doing original um, She-Ra episodes because I do want to revive it. It was kind of like a, like I said, cathartic like moments because I really, all my, my blogs were just from that first year of Trump being in office. And um, and I, I don't know if, if I want to go back to original Shira or maybe if I want to take some of the newer episodes and and shine them on what's going on in our political sphere. So I'm still kind of mulling that over. If you know listeners have ideas about what I should write about, please let me know. You can actually at me at at Mozart made two on Twitter. I'm actually the only Mozart made, but Twitter blocked me for. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but it, it didn't like me for some reason. Political so, stuff. Yeah, I, I have no idea, but I, I somehow lost my Twitter um, account. And then actually, you know what I did? I remember now I, I had um, put I've been trying to um, sell a book because I wrote a book about language learning um, and I put it on like a bot or something that would that would post stuff. And that got me in trouble. Oh, <laughs> oh no. You yeah. Big bot spam. Yeah, I got in trouble, but it was somebody who told me that that's how you can like get uh, you know action on somebody coming to your site. So I I, I didn't know what I was yeah, doing. Yeah, you got action, all right. <laughs> <laughs> then I got banned. The bad kind. <laughs> I'm at Mozart Made Two. If you want to tweet me some ideas. And once again, your blog address. My blog address is shirageneration.wordpress.com. Wonderful. So we'll be back next week. Um, still talking about Shadow of Mysticor. And uh, we will be talking about the kind of uh, healing angle of the episode, which I think is just as interesting. But uh, Emily, thank you again so much for being here. And uh, thanks for helping keep She-Ra alive in the minds of old middle-aged progressives <laughs> like us. Don't say old. <laughs> no. Even middle age is scary, but it's closer to truth than young at this point, I think. Aww.
<laughs> yeah, I know. Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.